What would it take for you to hand over a couple hundred thousand dollars to a guy claiming to be a real estate investor? Promise of a good return? Mutual acquaintance? Nice suits and cars? Or how about a realtor's license and apparent ties to a legitimate firm? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Obviously, the sales job offered by former BC realtor Howard Chong was solid, as he's accused of 10 counts of fraud. He presented himself as everything from a Chinese pop singer to a rep for a high-end investment firm, a private investigator claims. He's also now on the lam. We look at the allegations against Chong, how people were roped in by him, and where he could possibly be. It's Tuesday, January 22nd. Before we get to our conversation, I want you to ask yourselves a question. Do I want to get all the episodes of this show delivered right to my device? No searching, no scrolling? Then head on over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and hit subscribe. The best stories in Canada, right to your feed. Dan Fumano is a reporter with the Vancouver Sun and Vancouver Province. So Dan, as equally vexing a question as where is Howard Chong is the question, just who is Howard Chong? I guess from what we've been able to find out, I mean, I was never able to speak with Mr. Chong directly, but from what we read and the people we talked to and uh, the different people that the private investigator who was tracking Mr. Chong, the different people he talked to, it sounds like Howard Chong kind of wore a bunch of different faces that he presented to different people. Uh, He presented himself sometimes as a uh, an authorized international representative for a prestigious Hong Kong-based investment fund, or he presented himself as a, a licensed Vancouver real estate agent working out of a brokerage in East Vancouver. He presented himself uh, sometimes as a Chinese pop musician and songwriter. Uh, <laughs> and he, he a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. Um, so I don't know who the real, the real Howard Chong was. I wish my resume was that detailed. Um... <laughs> According to police, though, who is Howard Chong? Well, I mean, according to them, they believe that he uh, is a fraudster and thief. He, that's what he's alleged to have done. Uh, in sort of around the middle of 2017, a couple of years after these frauds and thefts are alleged to have occurred, the police were able to uh, get charges approved by Crown Counsel, um, 10 counts of fraud and theft over $5,000. So that's what the police are alleging uh, that he has done. Now, this first started as a civil suit, correct? Filed by a Coquitlam accountant. What what was alleged yeah. in this civil suit? It, it was. It sounds like an investment gone bad. Uh, according to the suit, which was, as you say, filed by this Coquitlam accountant. The Coquitlam accountant in the uh, suit kind of lays out his story. He says he met this guy, Howard, through a friend of his, uh, a mutual friend, uh, a woman with whom this guy used to work at a Richmond accounting firm years earlier. And uh, she introduced him to Howard. Howard said he had this lucrative investing opportunity. And then the accountant, uh, a guy named Evan, said that he basically trusted Howard. He told me later he felt he feels like he was naive and probably overly trusting, but Howard seemed professional. And the thing was, because it was a friend of a friend, he felt like he could probably trust him because it was they you know they had this mutual friend. It seemed above board. He invested three hundred thousand uh, dollars with this purported investment opportunity that uh, Howard Chong presented him with, and then, unfortunately, shortly after that, he lost track of him. So that's kind of the the background that Evan uh, outlined in the civil suit he filed. Uh, by that time, though, it seems like Howard Chong was already in the wind, and uh, Jang was Evan was able to get uh, 
he was able to get a default judgment eventually, uh, you know, ordering Chong to pay him the costs and plus extra damages. But by that time, who knows where Chong had gone. And when did this turn into a police investigation? Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, uh, but I mean, Evan, the this uh, the accountant, he said that he went to police, you know, shortly after. It would have been around sort of 2015, a few years ago now. He went to police shortly after he kind of lost track of Howard. He went to police and told them what had happened, and I think they opened a file. Uh, soon after that, he also, um, I'm not sure the exact order, uh, but he he would have also f- launched the civil suit and he also took the step of hiring a private investigator uh who he was hoped was going to maybe be able to help him track down chong maybe track down some of his assets if he still had some assets in the country that he might be able to go after around 2015 that the police got involved the f- private investigator was retained and then also the civil suit was filed and how many victims are there alleged to be here there are seven different victims uh, named in the allegations um, in the court, uh, the indictment that was filed with the court and sworn by the RCMP. There's seven different people, yeah, who are alleged to have been victims here. I'm not, it's possible to know uh, from my end if there are other people out there, but that's one of the things we're curious. The story was never reported on and the Richmond RCMP never kind of put out a public announcement or anything about it because uh, even though these charges are a couple of years old now, they were sworn in 2017, but Nothing about it had ever been reported before now. So I do kind of wonder if um, we may hear from some other people who have either past dealings with Howard Chong or maybe have some idea of his current whereabouts. So the Richmond RCMP had urged people to get in touch if they do have any other information. And we talk about seven current victims. There could be potentially others uh, who come forward with allegations against Howard Chong. How much money are we talking about here? In the uh, the charged information that's in the court, it doesn't get into specifics. It just says that each count is over five thousand dollars. It doesn't give you precise details. But Evan Jang, the uh, the accountant that we're talking about from Coquitlam, I spoke with him at some length. He personally lost three hundred thousand um, dollars. So I mean, that's obviously a significant amount of money that he lost. He said obviously it caused him self and his family some hardship to lose that kind of money mm-hmm. um and he was quite embarrassed so i don't know exactly how much the other ones lost but according to the report that the private investigator wrote when he tracked down some other alleged victims some of them had also indicated they had lost sort of six figure dollar amounts uh, it is a, a lot of money especially for an individual right oh yeah absolutely and it, i mean it sounds like a lot of these people weren't necessarily super high net worth individuals they mm-hmm. were people who thought, you know, this guy was presenting them with a good opportunity. And in a lot of cases, as in Evan's case, they kind of maybe had friends in common or social networks overlapped. But uh, but of course, now nobody seems to know where the guy is. So when we're talking about fraud and talking about convincing people to hand you over hundreds of thousands of dollars, we're talking about the ability to build people's trust and get them to buy in somehow to the vision or the Mm. investment that you're selling them. How did he present himself to his alleged victims as someone they could trust with their money? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, one of the um, things, as we mentioned, was the fact that at least in Evan's case, he was introduced to Howard by by a mutual friend, someone they both knew in common. Um, And the private investigator who I talked to in this case, he said that 
that's fairly common. He sees that happen a fair bit. It's a good way for a fraudster to sort of build up a level of trust that they can prey upon. Um, and another element of this case that, uh, you know, I mean, some of the investigators uh, that we talked to, um, the, the investigators, both the police, the private investigators, they describe this as being a particularly complex kind of investigation. But then there are also aspects of it that are quite commonplace and very familiar to people who are familiar with financial crime and fraud. The other element of it um, that is something that investigators and regulators and stuff see all the time is what they call affinity fraud. So in this case, when you look at the indictment, you see all of the all of the alleged victims' names are Chinese. Um, they're all members of the sort of the Chinese Canadian community in the Lower Mainland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chong, Chong himself um, was originally from Taiwan, and the this. So yeah, they call it affinity fraud. It's a term used by regulators and investigators, and it just basically refers to people uh, a scam that targets members of an identifiable identifiable group, whether it's kind of a religious or ethnic or cultural group. Um, and you see it everything from Bernie Madoff to, you know, all kinds of scams, whether they're targeting the, you know, the Jewish community, or it could be the South Asian community, or it could be, you know, people that you meet at a, a church. Um, and then that's a good way. So you meet someone and you already have kind of an affinity uh, together. There's a shared kind of something in common. And then that's the sort of people use that to gain trust. And so that's that's one element of this that unfortunately investigators see fairly often it's something that they try to warn the public about the RCMP and you know the Canadian Securities Administrators the, the BC Securities Commission they put out warnings about this like this is something to be be careful about We'll be right back We're approaching the best part of the NHL season coming out of the All-Star break there'll be a ton of trade talk as teams load up to make a push to the playoffs And we all know that hockey fans will be keeping an eye on the wildcard race, not to mention which coaches or GMs could get bounced from their jobs early. With so much going on in the NHL, you want a little more news and a deeper look at the playoff picture. We've got it with the Off the Post podcast. Our team of hockey experts joins host Paul Chapman for a deep dive on the big issues in the NHL. Check it out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Chong presented himself at least in one instance, as an investor with a prestigious international firm, um, but the address related to the purported business in Canada was basically a shell company, and he's actually uh, a licensed realtor, but you even found out he didn't do much of that either. <laughs> yeah, he, according to the Real Estate Council, who you know regulates that profession here in BC, the, regular, the, the Real Estate Council of BC confirmed that he was indeed licensed as a realtor in 2012 and 2013. Um, but he was only licensed with one brokerage. So he kind of hung his license at this uh, brokerage in East Vancouver, which is a long running brokerage. They've been there a long time. I talked to the managing broker and he said, uh, yes, it's true. After checking his records, it's true. Howard Chong did hang his license there for a brief time, but he said he only met the guy once. He was never around the office and he never actually did any trading. He never completed a single transaction. He never did anything. And, um, he didn't, he basically owed the firm money. He didn't pay his office fees and stuff, so which built up. And I don't think it was a huge amount of money, but a few hundred dollars over a little while. And so eventually they just fired him because he, he didn't make any sales. He didn't do anything. He wasn't paying his office fees. And who knows, I mean, what he was doing during that time. The, the police have an idea of what they think he was doing during that time. But he wasn't selling real estate or conducting the business of real estate. Does he have any family in the Vancouver area or is anyone speaking out on his behalf or saying that he kind of left us in the wind as well? 
Well, I don't know if he has any family beyond um, one woman who apparently she had told police as well as the private investigator and some of the victims that she was his wife. Um, and I spoke with her very briefly. I did get a hold of her and she didn't want to uh, do an interview or, or, or speak about this. Um, it sounds like from, from, all, from all appearances, it sounds like she had cooperated with investigators and it doesn't sound like she was... Uh, I mean, at least she was never charged with anything, with any of the crimes, anything to do with any of the crimes that he was charged with. But, uh, yeah, I did speak with her, and she said that she has no idea where he is, and that was kind of about the extent of our conversation. There was also, interestingly, uh, one of the alleged victims here did find a, a an article in a Taiwanese newspaper, which had basically a fellow with the same name, Howard Chong, and the, the article referred to him as an overseas Canadian of Chinese descent, Mm-hmm. Um, who was alleged to have uh, basically defrauded his... He had a, a wife in Taiwan, and he was alleged to have defrauded her family of more than a million dollars US, and then disappeared, and they didn't know where he was, and she had to sort of take him to court. She had to sue him uh, to get a divorce. Uh, anyway, a fellow by the same name, um, and that was the description we read in that story. Wild. Um, so he... he- talks about being uh, an investor with a prestigious firm uh mm. he he signs up as a realtor uh is is connected to a real estate firm in bc where does the chinese pop singer come in here <laughs> what is that story i i didn't get into that too much in this story just because there was uh you know you could write a book on the guy there was there wasn't <laughs> enough room to go into detail on that but it sounds like he did meet some people um and I, I think some of them may have ended, yeah, some of them did end up uh, being alleged victims. They are named in uh, the indictment. He had met some of them through sort of the music scene. I think he said that he was a songwriter and a producer, and um, he was basically trying to sell himself as uh, his services as a producer. And then I don't know if he actually was one, or I'm not aware of any music that he actually did record or anything. We did talk to, though, uh, uh, he does appear to have owned some guitars. That much sounds like it's true, because when uh, when the I talked to the landlord where he lived, mm-hmm. uh, he rented like a nice apartment, like a, a high end kind of two bedroom condo in Richmond, which is a suburb of Vancouver. And um, basically, when he went missing, the landlord kind of was afraid. He was worried that something had happened to the guy, or he was something had, he'd gotten hurt. So the landlord called the police and the locksmith and went to his place. And there were a bunch of guitars there apparently, but he had left the guitars behind. He had left his computer behind. He had there were clothes everywhere, and it looked like he had just left in a hurry at that point. So he did have guitars, and he had apparently held himself out as being some kind of musician. But I cannot speak to the uh, quality of his musical skill. I'm not sure. <laughs> so there was a private investigator brought in on yeah. this case uh, by the accountant Evan Jiang. Jiang, uh, yeah, Jiang, yeah. and. The police were also involved. Were these two parallel investigations going simultaneously, or was there involvement between the police and the private investigator? Yeah, I mean, that's the the, the police didn't talk to me about that element of it really. But um, according to the investigator, his version of it was that yeah, that they had actually quite a good relationship. Where um, you know, I guess the investigators focused more on kind of the civil side of things, trying to get assets or see what they can find, and um, and then the police obviously are on the criminal side. Uh, the private investigator, who himself is a former Mountie, he was a RCMP member years ago, but has been a, in private investigations for the last 20 years or so. Um, his name was Dennis Gagnon, and he's uh, based out of West Vancouver. 
And he said that, yeah, their relationship was quite good. They worked kind of collaboratively and in parallel with the Richmond RCMP and kind of shared information to some extent, or at least he shared information with the police. And um, it it did eventually, you know, lead to the, uh, the approval of these 10 criminal charges. So Jang won a default judgment against Chong uh, in the civil suit, but he doesn't expect he's ever going to see that money, does he? I don't I don't think he's holding out a ton of hope. You never know, I guess. Um, who knows? I mean, maybe when, once this story's out there, if some other information comes to investigators, if someone is able to track down Howard Chong. But no, I think, um, I think Evan doesn't hold out a lot of hope but i think he certainly would like to at least know what happened and uh i'm sure he'd like to get at least some of that money back if he could how does he feel about the whole thing overall i think uh like a lot of you know i've I've written a lot of stories about fraud and financial crime um or at least a handful of them and it's something that you it's a recurring thing a lot of these people feel embarrassed they uh they're embarrassed that they made a mistake they were too trusting too naive uh, they feel bad about it. And I mean, I think that and you'll talk to police or, you know, people who regularly deal with this stuff and they'll say that's one reason that fraud and financial crime is often goes unreported. A, a lot of times the the victims don't really want to take it to the police because um, they feel some shame or they feel like it was their fault and they don't know what the police are going to be able to do. And I think Evan felt a certain amount of that. He was frustrated. He felt bad. It, it obviously caused some stress and some difficulty for him and his family. He was fairly young. I think it was his, I think he was in his late twenties at the time. And I think it was his parents' money. And he said, you know, they didn't have unlimited funds. And so it was a costly lesson for him. Where is it suspected the Chong could be? Who knows? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. There was some indication that he had gone to Singapore. Um, That was a lead that the private investigator turned up uh, that he maybe had gone to Singapore um, but the RCMP looked into that last year, I believe, and they found that there was some record of him entering Singapore, but by that time it appeared he had left the country and there was no record of him having returned to Singapore. Um, so we don't know. Yeah. He may have had some connections in Hong Kong. He had also told people at, uh, at one point that he, uh, was in Italy. I don't know if he actually was there. Um, who knows? He, he was born in Taiwan. I don't know if he's back there. We don't know. Now, through conversations about this story, did police or even the private investigator suggest anything that people can do to avoid falling victim to people like Howard Chong? Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, there are some of the stuff we talked about, like be just being mindful that just because someone is a you know a friend of your friend or an acquaintance of your acquaintance and just because they may be from the same cultural group or they may go to your church or synagogue or they may be part of a you know the same sporting community just some just because they're part of your same community you still have to kind of be mindful be wary be cautious and there there was certainly one red flag here and that's the fact that uh uh Chong was presenting in in all the different cases i mean one of the cases was um he appears to have presented his landlord with a an investment opportunity where he said oh it's going to be a huge return it was a real estate uh, development which i don't think even existed um but that's if if people are saying a high return you've got to be mindful that the higher the return you it's got to be a red flag uh be mm-hmm. careful uh 
Uh, obviously, some high return investments are legitimate, but you have to be careful. And uh, that certainly is a red flag if people are advertising a high return. The guy wasn't, um, I, I don't believe he was ever licensed uh, through, you know, various regulatory bodies like the Securities Commission or IROC, you know, the investment industry organization. Yeah. Um, so things like that. If, if, if you're going to invest with someone, especially someone who you haven't known for that long, it's probably a good idea to figure out if they're registered, licensed, regulated in some way. Um, and that's that, that would probably be one piece of advice. Well, they, yeah, they are hard lessons for people to learn. And I think for them, they're hoping that Chong gets to learn a lesson of his own eventually. Uh, Dan, thanks very much for your time. Great. Thank you very much. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support from Adam Foster. Thanks to my guest, Dan Fomano. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>